0: on cornerstone connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
1: calling your We have a choice. Am I going to let this bother me? but do I have to confront them? Do I have to sit down? Is this, is this something I have to discuss with them? Do I have to pray through? Just let it go. Try it. You like it. You, and some of you just—you will feel so free when you just be like, okay. And you might, you know, have some inner dialogue going on, like I can't believe they just did that again. Okay. And and don't resort to the get him God prayer. Just, <laughs> just let it go. This is
0: Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Peter. What does a Christian need to do to live according to God's will? One very important thing is that God needs people who are faithfully serving Him. He doesn't want people grumbling about what He's asked them to do. He wants you to enjoy what you are doing. One thing that we don't like to talk about is the fact that the life of a Christian will bring suffering. There are people who will hate, persecute, and oppose you. Today, Pastor Gary will teach you how to rise above the suffering and serve Him faithfully. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
1: rich guy who's unnamed. Uh, he's unrighteous. He goes to the torment side of Hades, and there's a fixed chasm, or some translations say a fixed gulf, between the two. The entire location of where everybody went who died if you if you were righteous by way of the temporary sacrifice of animals, you went to the paradise side. If you were unrighteous because you rejected God and you rejected the sacrifice of animals as a means by which to be made temporarily righteous, you went to the torment side And and neither could cross over. The entire place was called in the Greek Hades or in the Hebrew it's called Sheol. Sometimes in your Bible, Sheol is translated as the grave. But it also means the place where all departed souls went that's Hades, that's Sheol, same thing. It just depends which side you went on uh, as, as as it related to whether or not you were temporarily righteous through the provision God had provided, which is the sacrifice of animals, or whether you were unrighteous because you rejected the sacrifice of animals. This is where everybody went prior to Jesus Christ dying on the cross. When Jesus dies for three days, his body is in the tomb. His spirit, this is what It's meant in chapter 3 here, verse 19, when it talks about how Christ went and preached to the the prisoners, to those who were held captive. Jesus, his spirit, by his spirit, goes into the paradise side of Hades. Not the torment side. He goes to the paradise side. And it is there that he announces that he is the fulfillment of their long-awaited anticipation for the Messiah. See, all these people who have been kept here on paradise side we were not able to gain access to heaven because Jesus had not yet died. And so they were kept and was basically a holding tank, a paradise side. So there was no torment here. There was no torture. Remember Luke chapter 23, when one of the thieves turned to Jesus and acknowledged that he was Lord, Jesus promised him, today you will be with me in what? Paradise. This is where that thief went as well. So Jesus Christ, by his spirit, comes to the paradise side of Hades And and Peter actually uses this word. He says he he preached. It is the the Greek word uh, caruso, verse 19 of chapter 3, by whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison. It is caruso because it means he announced. He announced across the chasm to these people. Listen, you have denied God's righteous provision. And he's saying from this side of the chasm, I am the fulfillment of God's righteous provision. So you stand condemned. But these people, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, says that Jesus then led them out. He led the captives free in the NIV says uh, the, the train of his robe. It's just this picture, this majestic picture of Jesus in his, his royalty leading the spirits of these righteous people out of paradise and he took them to heaven where they are presently where now is where we go when a believer dies who has put their faith and trust in jesus christ paradise side of hades is now empty and has been emptied since jesus christ emptied it when he went there during the three days while his body lay in the tomb however the torment side is still occupied today see now when we refer to hades or hell the instant connotation is it's totally a place of suffering. Not originally it wasn't. It was divided in half and there was a place of paradise. But now it is true to say that hell is a place exclusively of torment or suffering. And people who reject Christ as the means by which to be saved and to go to heaven, they end up here too, like people did prior to the crucifixion of Christ who didn't believe in the animal sacrifice where God had provided a temporary means of of righteousness, so, so the torment side is still occupied today. The paradise side has been emptied. So I say all this because now here in chapter 4, verse 6, when he says, For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to the God in the Spirit. Now this word for preached, there in chapter 4, verse 6, is not caruso. That's the word used back up in chapter 3. It is euagalizo. We get our English word evangelize. Now basically Christ, this verse is talking about how Christ is basically expressing the good news to all these people on the paradise side who have been long awaiting the, the anticipation of the Messiah. And so Peter's reminding us, this is, this is the good news. This is the gospel. This is evangelism. And Christ has now proclaimed it to those who were on the paradise side and emptying it and taking those people to heaven. And then he adds here in verse 7, keep reading your Bibles with me here, verse 7, but the end of all things is at hand, okay, in a very literal way, in those days, that is true, I mean, because they didn't even know if they had tomorrow guaranteed, given all of the persecution. He says, but the end of all things is at hand, therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Back to our list of the things that the life of the believer should include, serious praying. The end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. NIV says, be clear-minded and self-controlled in your prayers. Uh, the word watchful, actually, in verse 7, is the Greek word nepho, which means to be sober. And it literally means to abstain from wine. You know, I guess the idea here is during this time, he's saying, like, you know, listen, we, we, time is short. We need to be serious. We need to be watchful. Um, you know, don't, don't be engaging in things because time is short here, but we need to be people who are praying. You know, Paul would say in First Thessalonians 5, 17, pray continually for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We need to be people of prayer who are serious about our prayer lives. Verse eight, he adds another point. And above all things, have fervent love for one another for love will cover a multitude of sins. Number three in our list is continual loving. That's, that's something that should be included in the life of the believer. He uses the word fervent, fervent love. Fervent literally translates without ceasing. The word love here is agape in our Greek uh, New Testaments. It's the highest form of love. He says, I want you to love each other without ceasing. Fervent love, having the highest, purest form of love for one another, and he says, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean sloppy agape. Sloppy agape is when you think that it's okay for people to sin because, after all, we should just be about love. It's all about love. Just love one another, you know, and and therefore, we can just do whatever we jolly well want, And, and therefore, love covers over a multitude of sins. No, it's not love covering over or covering up. It's just the idea of this. Um, there's going to be a lot of offenses in case you haven't noticed that people will commit against one another. Sometimes intentional. Sometimes, hopefully, unintentional. As a believer, our first objective should be to just love a brother or sister who may have hurt us because love covers over a multitude of sins. So it's not in the sense of covering it over like it's okay to just be sinning because it's all about love. It's the idea that we should be men and women who are loving towards each other, giving the benefit of the doubt, and being gracious toward each other. You know, I shared this with staff yesterday at our all-staff meeting. Proverbs 19.11 has saved me a lot of... um, frustration over the years here's what proverbs 19:11 says the last part of proverbs 19:11 just simply says this it is the glory of a man to overlook an offense it's the glory of a man or a woman it's just a universal term to overlook an offense the reason that that saved me a lot of grief over the years and i hope it will save you a lot of grief over the years is because if you want to spend time Confronting people for every single time they've hurt your feelings. You're going to be crippled. You're going to be spiritually and emotionally crippled. Let stuff go. That's for somebody tonight. Let stuff go. All right? You don't have to have a sit down for every single time somebody hurt your feelings. It's the glory of a person to overlook an offense. Sometimes people will be mean, and sometimes they mean it. That's sad. That's wrong. That's sinful. Sometimes they don't mean it. It's unintentional. We have a choice. Am I going to let this bother me? but Do I have to confront them? Do I have to sit down? Is this, is this something I have to discuss with them? Do I have to pray through that? Just let it go. Try it. you like it. <laughs> some of you just you will feel so free when you just be like okay and you might you know have some inner dialogue going on like i can't believe they just did that again okay and and don't resort to the get them god prayer just (laughs) just let it go because here's the deal chances are you've done the same thing i've done the same thing and sometimes unknowingly And so we can get all wigged out thinking like, I can't believe they just, or you can just let it go. Because why? Love covers over a multitude of sins. Let it go. Now, again, there are some things you do need to have a sit down. There are some things you you do need to discuss. There are some things that you need to pray through and talk through. But I think that some of us could be saved a lot of grief if we just learned what he's saying here. Just really demonstrate fervent love. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Let it go. Don't sweat the little things. Just let it go. Verse 9. He says, Be hospitable to one another without grumbling, as each one has received a gift. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. What he's saying here now is something else. The life of the believer should include is faithful serving. Between verses 9 and 12, what I just read, he rattles off a couple of spiritual gifts. Not all of them, obviously, but just a few. He says, if you're hospitable, that's a gift, but do it without grumbling. He says, if you minister to one another do it out of the manifold grace of God if you if you speak if you if you teach you know be careful to do it because you're proclaiming the word of God if you minister to people do it with the ability that God gives you so so that God might be glorified but he's basically saying you know we should be looking out for each other and ministering to each other each other and caring about each other and serving each other And so in this way, we glorify God because the body of Christ works together using the different gifts that God has given us to to care for one another and to minister to one another and to serve one another. So, So do that for the glory of God. Verse 12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. So I wanted to read all of that last section. Now we're going to go back up and unpack this a little bit. The, the fifth point, the, the last one we're going to look at tonight is he talks about how the life of the believer should include uh, some expected suffering. And again, there's that word. and He uses it several times here in this closing section, talking about suffering. But he actually is going to talk about three types of suffering. Uh, The third one is actually in chapter 5 we'll get to next week. But here's the first one. He says, you should expect some suffering just for being a Christian. Uh, There's there's suffering as saints, and he lists that here in verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Now, he talks here about a fiery trial. The Greek word is uh, perosis, and it literally translates burning. And some Bible scholars believe that he's actually referring to the fact that, you know, Rome burned and, um, and Nero was persecuting Christians. And so it, it may be a play on words that Peter's using here. He's like, hey, you know, you're suffering persecution because Rome burned and, and now you're being martyred. Um, whether he means it in, in, in the sense of it's, you know, modern application or whether he means it like all of us from time to time, go through fiery trials, you can take it either way. Perhaps it's, it's a dual meaning here. Um, but he, he wants us to be aware of the fact that as Christians, we will suffer in some way. Again, there are people around the world who are suffering with their lives, um, we may suffer differently, but there is a measure of persecution against Christians. There is a measure of hatred and vitriol against Christians. There is a matter uh, of um, opposition against Christians. I think we see it rising even more so in our day. At least I'm more aware of it. Um, I, I think that, you know, Christians have been lumped into this category of just being all a bunch of haters, a bunch of bigots, you know, just because we are trying to stand for some truth, and, and, and we believe in absolute truth in a very relative world, and so that can cause people to label us, to think that instantly we just, you know, hate people, which we don't, um, or we have, um, you know, gotten to a place where we are, you know, exclusive in, in our thinking, at which the gospel is not. It's very... It's very, you know, welcoming to all who would believe and receive. But we don't compromise truth. We don't negotiate on the absolutes. And because of that, people will sometimes look at us and, and label us. Uh, so there's going to be some measure of persecution or animosity or vitriol, whatever we want to call it. Um, again, we certainly aren't suffering to the degree that some people are around the world. But we should expect it. Just plainly said people will not always like you just because you're a christ follower like deal with it like, like just accept that um they just simply will not like you because you love jesus um okay uh but that shouldn't deter you and that that should not uh discourage you uh peter said don't think it's strange." There's going to be difficulties we go through. There's going to be trials. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be, you know, some degree of suffering just because we're a Christian. Uh, you, you might get threatened on the job. You might, you know, your faith might be something that ends up costing you your job. I don't, I don't know. There's different ways that we're going to feel the, the squeeze as Christians for our faith. Don't think it's strange. It's been going on since the beginning of Christendom. Uh, you know, he, 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 he builds on it in verse 16. He says, uh, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. Because that's the thing that tends to happen. When we realize people don't like us and, you know, some people say things against us, that human fleshly sinful need to be liked by people starts to rise up. And then we have the tendency to be ashamed of Jesus in order to be liked, And he reminds us, listen, if you're going to suffer for being a Christian, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Christ suffered and took on the most incredible shame and humiliation for us. So how in the world do we think that any shame we might experience could ever possibly match the shame that Christ experienced on our behalf? Don't be ashamed. Uh, Let him glorify God in this manner instead. And in verse 19, he says, therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Just, you know, just entrust your life to the Lord. People will say things. You might suffer just for being a Christian, but okay, commit your life to the Lord and don't be ashamed. Then he also says in this section and actually in the previous part of chapter four, uh, you may experience some suffering for sin. Um, that is to say, again, the dying to self, the crucifying your flesh, uh, those things can cause us to feel like we're suffering in, in regards to, to sin. Um, in Galatians 5, the Bible says, those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Well, when you think about what crucifixion entailed, it's painful, and it will be painful at times. For us to die to self, it will be excruciatingly difficult sometimes to crucify the flesh. But as Christ followers, that's what we're called to do. We we are called to die to self and crucify the flesh, and so therefore there may be some suffering. But he says it would be better for you to suffer in regards to dying to self than in verse uh, fifteen, than to suffer as a murderer. A thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. So bring it on. If we're gonna suffer, let us suffer for a good cause. That is to say, let's die to self and and let's suffer for, for the sake of Christ. And and as Christians, let's be, you know, let's let's take whatever persecution that comes our ways because Christ has suffered on our behalf. And then the last thing that he talks about, which we'll get to next week, is he talks about suffering from Satan. And I'll just, um, I'll read the verses with you, and then uh, we'll pray and close tonight, but we'll come back to this. If you jump ahead to chapter 5, look at verses 8 through 11, because we're going to talk a little bit about this next week, just how it is that Satan works, how we can be wise about the the, um, the ways of the enemy and just be, you know... Um, prepared for that kind of thing but he says here in chapter 5 verse 8 through 11 be sober be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour resist him steadfast in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world but may the god of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by christ jesus after you have suffered a while perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen.
0: Thanks for tuning in today for Pastor Gary Hamrick's verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Peter here on Cornerstone Connection. We're glad we're able to bring you these teachings straight from God's Word. But we're even more glad you chose to spend time with us today. We love hearing from our listeners, so please give us a call if you have a moment. Our phone number here is 703-771-1500. When you call, let us know how we can be lifting you up in prayer. Again, our number is 703-771-1500. If you missed any part of this broadcast or would like to explore more of Pastor Gary's teachings as he's been working his way through the Bible, we invite you to visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. Our entire archive is available there. Just look under the Teachings tab. You can also download our mobile app to connect with Scripture whenever and wherever you happen to be. There's a link to that under the Teaching tab, too. We'd love to have you join us at Cornerstone Chapel this weekend. Come spend some time in God's presence as we worship and exalt Him in praise and dig deeper into the truth found in the pages of the Bible. To find out more and get service times, check out cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for in today's study of 1 Peter. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection.